can grab a Bible or open one that you brought with us or, or dial it in on your phone. Um, John chapter 1, verse 35. Well, um, over the years, I've been called a, a lot of different things. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're with me in that. Um, of course, I was born at David James Harry, and then um, through high school, I just started to be, became Dave all of a sudden. I don't know when that transferred, that change. And I've been Super Dave, I've been Big Dave, I've been Little Dave, I've been Baptist Dave. That was one of my favorites. During seminary at my workplace, I was Baptist Dave. I've been Foreman Dave, not because I was an actual foreman, but up at Camp Idrahaji when I directed the Aspen View Camp, the junior high camp, that had the title of foreman for a little bit. In Ecuador, I was, I was David, or Hoven David. I was like the youthful guy, that's what they called me. And then in college, I had a roommate from, from Missouri. And actually, it's someone who, there's a connection, Dwayne, you know Grady Goodwin. Uh, he was a roommate of mine. But oh, by the way, uh, Pastor Dwayne and Joetta and their son David are here, and they are moving back to Kansas City. But Dwayne uh, pastored here for 15 15 years, uh, faithfully here at Derby Hill, so, and they're heading back to Kansas, Missouri, right, Kansas City, <laughs> anyway, so, uh, but I had a roommate, and um, he knew I was from Colorado, and we, we went, I, he took me home to meet his family, and his dad knew I was from Colorado, and he connected Colorado to CU and to the Buffs, and he just called me Buffalo, he said <laughs> Buffalo Day, so it was Buffalo Day for a while, in China, um, in China, I was Dai Laoshu, which it just means, um, well, Lao Shi is teacher, and Dai was my Chinese last name, and because I taught English um, at the university. Not very exciting. I taught oral English, so I just taught what uh, I learned since I was, um, you know, one years old. So not very impressive, but I was Dai Lao Shi. Um, I've been pastor Dave, of course, here. I've been a husband, dad, brother, son, um, all of these different things. I'm moderator right now for the, the local association. I still don't have any idea what that means, but <laughs> moderator. I've been um, disciple and and discipler, lots of different titles. Uh, but I think on these things, and they do reflect experiences I've had and opportunities I've had and a little bit about myself. But I think of last week and how we walked through John the Baptist and I would guess that if you called him John the Baptist, he would be like, no, I'm, I'm just John. <laughs> as he walks through that passage, as uh, those religious leaders come to him and, and try to figure out his title, try to figure out his authority, and he keeps um, pointing them again and again and again to Jesus. And he deflects these questions, and he says clearly, I am not the Christ. And he says, yeah, I'm the voice, uh, but I'm pointing to to." the Messiah, the forerunner, and he keeps pointing again and again to Jesus. His ministry and his life was pointing to Jesus, his identity, his mission, his life rooted in Jesus Christ, who's the way, the truth, and the life, and that's what John was all about. And here, though, uh, we begin the section where Jesus has numerous titles. Uh, we've also seen already a lot of things about Christ and now we're going to be able to see some different titles of Christ in the next couple of paragraphs this week and next week. And I'm amazed every week how much the Apostle John has packed in to these short verses. I keep thinking I'm going to cover a bigger space, and I'm like, man, he's just packed too much in. We just got to go through this slow. Uh, but we see um, these titles of Jesus Christ. We learn more about who he is, and hopefully as we learn more about him that we grow in faith. Uh, and that we grow in our worship of Jesus, and that we're spurred on to be like the disciples. And we're going to see different things that they do 
And I almost did a, a kind of an outline with the things that they're doing, but I'm like, no, this is all about Jesus. We've got to have titles that are all pointing to Jesus, and that's where we're going this morning. So at first, we're going to see the first title is Jesus, the Lamb of God. Jesus, the Lamb of God. Verse 35, it says, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. So the next day. So John here, he's going by this, at first, this day-by-day account of this beginning ministry of Jesus and, and John the Baptist. Remember, that first day was when those religious leaders, when they confronted, they confronted John with all these questions about his authority, about who he was. Again, he just continues to deflect and says, I'm the voice, I'm the forerunner, pointing to the Messiah. And then day two comes, and Jesus arrives on the scene. So there's a crowd around John the Baptist, and Jesus comes, and he declares to all that are there, he says, Behold, uh, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Came to take away the sins of the world. And the world here, I didn't note it, note, note it last week, but the world, they're talking about people, uh, the people in the world. They came to, to die for them, for their sins. And the best way I've seen it um, put it's by Kevin DeYoung as a pastor and author. And he said it this way. He said, for the world. He's talking about a people without distinction. So people of all tribe and language and tongue and race and economic class. All peoples, people without distinction. But it doesn't mean people without exception. So not all will respond and repent and believe. And we saw there's those that we see even in the first part of John that reject him. So he came to die for the sins of the world. He came. And John the Baptist is freely and clearly and boldly declares that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the sacrificial lamb who came to die for sinners to save us from our sin. Think of 2 Corinthians 5.21 that says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that we uh, with him might become the righteousness of God. So he came to save and again, the Lamb of God, we talked about it last week, but the Lamb, it represents, throughout the Old Testament, God allowed a spotless Lamb to die in the place of sinners, to be sacrificed for the sins of the people. And here, Jesus comes to be the perfect sacrifice, to die for our sins, and to save us, and to rescue us. I was thinking about that a little bit, about this rescuing of Christ, this saving of Christ. A friend of mine, well, a guy you guys know, Brett, who um, he's preached here two or three times. He's a pastor out at Calvary Severance. He gave me a book by Dane Ortland called Deeper. And it talked about at the beginning, it talked about how Jesus is saving. And this is what he wrote. It was just so clear. I thought, we got to talk about this as we we're thinking about Jesus as the Lamb of God who came to die for the sins of the world. And he says this, Dane Ortland says, But I mean something quite specifically when I say saving, that Jesus is saving. He says, I mean, he is saving and not only helping. A sinner, sinners were not bound, but dead in our trespasses. And then he says, when we were running full speed in the other direction, uh, he chased us down, subdued us, subdued our rebellion, and opened our eyes to see our need for him and his all-sufficiency to meet that need. Uh, and he says, we were not drowning in... In deep um, in need of being thrown a life preserver. No, we were stone dead at the bottom of the ocean. He pulled us up, breathed new life in us, and set us on our feet. And every breath we now draw is owing to his full and utter deliverance of us in all our helplessness and death. 
So that's a picture of the saving that happens. And we were dead on the bottom of the ocean. He, he gave us new life. And every breath we have in him is through him. New life in him. So then we get to our text where there's this third day and the second declaration of Jesus as the Lamb of God. So the third day, and John the Baptist, he's with two disciples, and he's with them, and he looks and he sees Jesus, and he looks at Jesus walking by, and he bears witness again to those disciples. As it, this is what John does, right? Um, he was called to, he's not the light, but he was one to bear witness to the light, so he's always pointing people to Jesus, and he does that again here, and he says again, behold, he says, everyone, pay attention. Uh, the one, it's the Lamb of God. So there's this repetition. And preachers, we like to repeat, but we do that because, goodness, we forget a lot. So we need that repetition. So he points them to Jesus, those two disciples there. And I think we should note, too, that John, he doesn't hesitate to point the disciples to Jesus. Now, disciples are those who are following a teacher. And as he points them, and he points the crowd to Jesus, he doesn't hesitate doing that, knowing that they might leave him. That's what they should do, leave him and follow Jesus but he's okay with that. It doesn't bother John because he knows it's not about him, right? He's not the Christ. He's pointing to the Christ who ranks higher than him, who's before him. And later in chapter 3, we're going to say that John says, man, I must decrease so Jesus can increase. Uh, and it's good to be about that. And I think as a church, too, we want to be a church that continues to be those who it's okay to raise people up and send them out if God calls them to other places. And we've seen that happen, and we'll continue to do that, and that's going to happen, um, and we need to be people that just point people to, to love and lead the way that God has called them. Think of Greg Deacon, who uh, many of you guys know. He le- led worship, and he's a, uh, an elder here, and we sent him off. I sent him off to a training with Sovereign Grace for a week to do worship training, and when he came back, I was like, oh, no, uh, he's got the bug. He, he's called a full-time ministry. I know our time is limited now. Um, so I might not send you to a full week of training, but <laughs> no, we'll see. But now he's a, a full-time um, worship pastor and youth pastor right now um, in Washington State. But we need to point people to Jesus and be okay with where that leads them. Verse 37 then, um, the two disciples heard him saying this, and they followed and one of our, our key words as we think about discipleship here, they, they heard, these two disciples heard what, what John said. And they didn't just passively hear him, but they actively hear these words and they go after Jesus. They begin following Jesus. They follow after Jesus and seek him. And even if these first steps, maybe they're the, the first steps of, of just curiosity and things, but they begin to go out and they follow Jesus and they pursue him, and they want to learn more about him. And I think that's kind of that first step of following Jesus, becoming a follower of Jesus, is hearing and beginning to follow and learn and know who Jesus is. And this is what we see happening here is that they pursue him. Now, followers, uh, I think that's one of those first steps that we're called to, to follow Jesus. It's really simple, but it's so important and it's so there's such a depth to it as well as following and I think one thing that I I, uh, recently learned and just have been thinking about how the gospel of John is a lot about following Jesus it's more about being a follower than even about being a leader I came across a few weeks ago an article that was uh, a article about a book that was recently um, published called uh, regard to followership, I think it's a call to follow is the name of the book. 
and I posted it on Facebook. I don't really post a whole lot, and I came across it again this week, and I thought, oh, I need to, to look at that again, and I'm like, oh, I need to share that again as we think about following Jesus and what it means to be a follower of him. And this article, let me just read a few things from it. It says, the leader, leadership is important. But the church has mirrored our culture in recent decades by overly emphasizing leading and neglecting following. We challenge people to lead, we train and equip them to lead, and we celebrate and praise them by by, for their leadership. And followership, in contrast, is almost completely ignored. We talk about a call to leadership. We almost never talk about a person who's called it to followership. Uh, and it's like, yeah. Do we ever talk about that? And then he said, we move in and out of leadership, right? And we might, but there's never a day when we will not be followers. We are disciples of Christ in terms, uh, that means followers. We're a follower of Christ. We have no higher aspiration than to follow the author and perfecter of our faith. So sometimes we need to learn to follow. And I think as we walk through John, that's one of the things we're going to learn to follow. And then they point to, and I never thought about this before, but throughout John, Jesus he talks about, and we're going to see it numerous times, how he is following uh, God the Father. He is following the direction of his Father. And they pointed a few. Uh, I don't have time to read all of them, but just a, a couple, just to get a taste of it. And you can, if you've read through John, you'll be like, oh, yeah, I get that. In John 5.19, Jesus describes himself as a follower who does nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. In John 7.16 and John 8.26, we discover that he's that his teaching is not his own, but comes from the one who sent him. Likewise, his actions are not done on his own authority, John 8, 28, and his coming and going are appointed, are appointed by someone else, John 8, 42, and then it goes on and on and on, and then just points out that the gospel of John um, is written so that we can lead, it's not written so that we can lead like Jesus, but it's written so that we could follow um, like Jesus followed. So we're called to be followers. If we're disciples of Christ, and we see here these first steps of the disciples following after Jesus. And then we're going to see another title come up uh, of Jesus, that he is rabbi, that he is teacher. And we're going to see that again throughout John, um, that Jesus is teaching. He's teaching through his miracles. He's teaching. He has seven miracles and signs that he shows us. And then there's this, all these I am, the seven I am statements, and teaching, 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 that Jesus is a teacher, and we see him teach. So let's read verse 38. So Jesus turned and saw them following him and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So they begin following him, and Jesus, he turns, and he saw them following him. He doesn't ignore them, but he intentionally, instead, he intentionally looks to them, and he, get, he allows his attention to be pointed to them. He sees them. He really sees them. He also in his divinity, he knows them. He knows that they're going to follow him to the end. Jesus saw them truly. I think in the same way Jesus sees us. And many of us, we know that Jesus, he had to get our attention. Um, And when he did, uh, we began to follow him. And we have a Savior who sees us. He knows us. And when he saw us, um, just everything changed as well. So Jesus sees him. As I read through this, sometimes as I'm reading these stories, I like to kind of step in and think about what, what did it look like? What was it like? What was this scene like? Sometimes we kind of think of it as, as 
just kind of like the story, and we don't think of all the details and think of this really happened. Um, these disciples were really following Jesus, and I just wonder, as they began following him, were they following way up close, kind of hovering, or were they kind of back, and maybe they were walking through a market, and they're pretending they're, they're going to buy some apples or some, some shoes, and they can follow him a little farther. I don't know what's going on, but they're following him, and though one time, at this moment, there's maybe an awkward moment as Jesus kind of turns around uh, and looks at them and talks to them and says... Uh, what are you seeking? <laughs> what, do you, what are you looking for? Uh, what is it that you want? But they're seeking him indeed. They're seeking him. And these are the first words that we see John put in the mouth of Jesus. And those are, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? So these are important words for us. And they really cut to the heart of the matter of why uh, they were behind him. They were seeking something, and he knew it, and he gets to it. What are you seeking? And it's a question we should ask ourselves, too, as we seek to follow Jesus. Um, what are we seeking? Or even this morning, what are you seeking? What are you wanting? Uh, are we just seeking to try to please somebody around us? Um, are we just trying to meet someone's expectation by outwardly seeking Jesus? Are we seeking Jesus just we want a blessing? We want some kind of um, gift or something from him, but we don't really want him to speak in maybe and convict our hearts of ways that we need to to change or follow after him or uh, just kind of seek him a little bit. Or what are we seeking after? Are we really seeking to know him, to know him so that as we know him and we know his word and know his truth, that our hearts and our lives are radically changed and he changes and rearranges and directs us. Um, what are we seeking? Are we worried that maybe he might challenge us to some uncomfortable things or those around us might say, man, he's become sort of a religious kind of Jesus freaky person. <laughs> what are we seeking? What are we seeking? Then continues. And they said to him again, rabbi, uh, meaning teacher, what, where are you staying? Again, I kind of wonder... Uh, as Jesus turns around and looks at them and sees them, do they kind of stammer a little bit? Uh, Rabbi, <laughs> uh, where are you staying? And this title of, of rabbi, it's that of teacher. Uh, it's a title of respect and authority. In, we don't really do this so much in, in America. We, well, for teachers, we say Mrs. or Mr. But in other cultures, like in China, you would say teacher so-and-so. And teacher is a, a, a address of respect. So they respectfully address him, and, and they ask him, uh, where are you staying? Where are you, are you abiding? Where are you at? And I just wonder, um, as they just had so much on their heart, uh, and they had so many questions there, I wonder why that was the only thing they could 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 get out. Uh, where are you staying? Because <laughs> they probably wanted to say, are you the Messiah? Uh, John said you were the Lamb of God. What does that mean? But maybe they thought, okay, one step at a time. One step at a time. We'll just ask him, where are you staying? That was the plan. So they got to it. Uh, and it, so it is with walking with Jesus. It's one step at a time as we walk with him. It's a marathon of walking. It's not a hundred-yard dash. And Well, for me, a hundred-yard dash kind of takes a while, so kind of slow. But, <laughs> but it's a step. I see Caleb's laughing a little too much. Uh, so, so they ask one question at a time. Then verse 39. I love this. Then Jesus, he said to them, come and see. Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. 
for it was about the 10th hour. So Jesus invites him, and he doesn't give them a hard time for, for asking him a, an awkward, maybe an awkward question at the moment. I think he probably had a smile on his face as he responds to them, as they took their first steps in the direction of Jesus to become a disciple of his. And, and Jesus invites them in. The door is open wide to them. And now I think for us, we might have built some barriers and been like, well, let me, let me check my calendar. Um, maybe, maybe tomorrow we can get coffee or some avocado toast or I don't know. Maybe we can hang out for a little bit or how about, you know, or maybe next week. But no, he's, he's like, come on, right now. Doors are wide open. Enter in. Uh, and he's inviting them into relationship with, them, with him. And he calls them. And as Jesus does, is one who says, come, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. So it's not a surprise that he says, come. And it's around, is approaching the 10th hour. That's 4 p.m. in the evening. So meal time's coming. So he might have been like, yeah, I've, got, I've already got meal plans. But no, come on. This means, that's, this means, and this is a commitment to have them come and invite them in. And then what do they do? Well, they follow Jesus. They follow him. They go with him. They go where he's staying. Again, this word staying, it's abiding. And they stay with him. They, they, they abide with him. And I, again, I wonder just what was it like just entering in and going to, to where he uh, was staying? Was it a little awkward? Nice accommodations? You know, how much do you pay? I don't know. But you just know that Jesus, um, his, just, his heart must have just poured out upon them. And they were loved and welcomed in, warmly welcomed them in. There's hospitality that was poured out upon them. In the New Testament, there's at least three times where we're commanded to be those who are hospitable. So I'm sure Christ was as hospitable as anyone could be. Just a warmth as he brings them in and allows these young men who are seeking the Messiah to come in and abide with them. So they, they stay the rest of the day. And again, that word stay, that's that abide, where later Jesus will say, abide in me, and, and I will abide in you. So he calls them in, and they abide with him. And it's apparent that we don't know everything that happened, but we know that there had to have been a lot of questions asked and a lot of questions answered, uh, because when they finish this time interacting with the Lamb of God, Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, that they come away confident that he is the Messiah. So they must know that he is the long-awaited one, the anointed one, the one prophesied to be a savior who would come and reign as king in the line of David. And whatever the conversation was, they come away confident uh, that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the anointed one. Which leads us to verses 40 through 42, and we see a final title of Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah. The Christ, he's the anointed one. So verse 40. So one of the two who heard John speaking and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So now we have the identity of at least one of the two disciples. And we can kind of guess who that, that other one probably was. But I think it's interesting that John waits to kind of a little bit of the end of this kind of this little bit of a story to introduce us to the disciples. But I think this is because the main emphasis, again, is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The disciples are, are kind of the second um, stringers in this story. The main focus is on Jesus. And he continues to write this. But we have Andrew. So he's one of the disciples. Andrew, who's a Simon Peter's brother. And Simon Peter was uh, apparently one who would have been well-known to those who received this letter, because he doesn't say anything about Peter, who Peter is. He just says, Andrew, who is Peter's, you probably know him, Peter's um, brother. 
And again, the Gospel of John, it was a later gospel, so a good chance that they've already heard or read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and now the Gospel of John is coming, and, and Peter would have been a prominent a disciple and leader in the early church, and they knew who he was, and so Andrew, uh, Peter's brother, if you're like me and you're a younger, you're not the oldest in your family, uh, you have brothers and sisters who were in school before you, you may have always been like me, I was always David, Marsh's brother, <laughs> maybe you guys know that, and here we have Andrew, uh, Simon's brother, and then the other disciple, he goes unnamed, um, but uh, it's speculated by most, really, that this disciple was probably John. Um, who is right? He doesn't name himself in the gospel. There's uh, several times where he's called, there is a beloved disciple. And again, most likely, we don't know for sure, but most likely that's John. And even in this story, there's so many details. It seems like an eyewitness, someone who's there, someone who saw Jesus see him, and he writes about it. It's probably John. And we're reminded too uh, uh, that this gospel, that there are the previous gospels, and here, John, he writes, he fills in gaps of different stories that weren't in the other Gospels. And probably about, I think it's about 90% of John's Gospel is unique to John and not in the, in the Synoptic Gospels. So we have then these initial stories in these first chapters that aren't in the other Gospels. And this is a ministry account of what happened in Galilee, but also they're going to go to Judea and go to Jerusalem. And all of these happen before we have a final calling of the disciples where he calls them out of their fishing boats and they leave everything and they follow him. And these are some things that happen. So they begin to know Jesus. They begin to see some miracles. They hear his teaching. They begin to know this is the Messiah. So it makes sense when we get to like in Mark, when we studied Mark about six years ago, that's been a while now. Mark chapter 1, 16 through 18, that call of the disciples. So it might make sense as they leave their nets immediately. They already had spent some time with Jesus. This is Mark chapter 1, 16 through 18. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, again, brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men, and immediately left their nets and followed him. So this um, account happens after all of these different events that happen and their interaction with Jesus, and later he will call them, and they will follow him. And then verse 40, 41, I'm sorry. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So Andrew, after following Jesus, after hearing that he's the Messiah, or the Lamb of God, following him and hearing all of these things, what is the first thing that Andrew does? Well, he goes. He goes to his brother Peter. He's got to tell him. He can't hold it in. He's got to tell him, we found him. We found the one we've been waiting for. So he goes to his brother, his brother who he loves, who he grew up with and was a fisherman with, and, and goes and tells him, we have found the Messiah. And that Messiah means Christ, which means the anointed one. This is the prophesied Messiah that would come and rescue his people. He's here. The one that John had said, this is the Lamb of God. They found him. So he goes to his brother Peter. And then what does he do? Verse 42, he goes to him, and then he says, he brought him to Jesus. So then he goes and he brings him in. That's what we do. We, we need to be those who invite, who share and invite as we follow Jesus. So he goes and he invites Peter to meet Jesus and see him. And then what does it say? It says, Jesus looked at him, looked at Peter and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. 
So then Jesus looks at Simon. He, again, he saw him. <laughs> he really saw him and he knew him a way that only the one who is a Lord and Savior and creator of all things, Jesus Christ, could see him and know. And he demonstrates his, his knowledge and omniscience as he makes a statement before even meeting him, before there's any introductions made. He said, you're Simon. You're Simon. You're the son of God. And then Jesus demonstrates his authority over, even over Peter and says, I'm renaming you right here, right now. You're Cephas, um, which is Aramaic. And the equivalent is Peter, so Cephas or, or Peter. It's a Greek word. And both of, those, both of those words have their root in the word rock. So it would have been a little bit like he said, um, you are rocky or you are <laughs> the rock. I don't, don't take on that title. I don't, I don't recommend it. Um, but here, that says a little too much about yourself, I think. I, I, someone, someone needs to give it to you. All right, so Jesus, Jesus needs to give it to you. So... But here, Peter, we find out that, as we know Peter a little bit, you're like, is he, he wasn't really all that much of a rock, was he? You know, um, Doesn't he deny Jesus three times? And there's some other places, even in the, in the epistles, where you're like, well. But Jesus changes his name, not because of who he is, but who um, Jesus is going to make him be and do in him and grow in him. So he calls him the rock because God's going to do an amazing work in Peter and use him in amazing ways. And Peter does become a leading um, apostle within the church and the founding of the early church. And he becomes mighty, a mighty one who preaches the gospel. So, jo- so Jesus does a radical work in Peter and changes him and will make him into the rock. And when Jesus, he sees us, uh, when he opens our eyes and we turn and we trust in him, uh, our Messiah, the Lamb of God, begins to do a work in us and he changes us as well. It might be a slow work, um, if you're like me, little by little, but he will do a work in us and change us and make us radically different as well. When we meet the Messiah, um, he, he sees us and he changes us. So as we see and we, we look at these titles, we learn to just the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ, who is the Lamb of God, who came to save us and rescue us not just throw us a life preserver, all right, or give us a meal, but raise us from the bottom of the sea, dead in our sins, and give us new life. And he's the teacher who teaches and speaks into us in such a way that an hour with him would just change everything if we had been walking behind Jesus that day. He's the teacher, and he's going to continue to teach us as we walk through the gospel of John. We're going to learn from Jesus. Then he's the Messiah, He's the Christ, he's the anointed one, the Savior, the one who is king uh, and will reign as king for the new heavens and the new earth and reigns even now. And then we respond to him. Uh, we hear, we're called to hear him, actively hear him. It changes, it causes us to move and act and change and a call to follow him and follow him truly, not just as, as a fan, but a true follower of Jesus where we enter in and we learn from him and we walk with him and he changes us we're called to be a follower and and to come and see there's a call to to come and see as well the taste see that the lord is good Uh, may you enter in maybe that's the call this morning lord is just saying come and see maybe you're far on the edges and you're kind of wondering about jesus and he's calling you in to to learn about him and to read his word and be around um, some crazy Jesus people, so you can learn about who Jesus is, and then may we abide um, with Jesus. 
May we rest in him. May we go to him in his word. May we know him. How are we to be a follower if we don't know him and read his word and know who he is? So as we walk through John, those are some things that, that I hope we walk through and grow in together. And as John is writes this, so that we might believe, might we be people who believe and even grow in our belief and be strengthened in the places of our unbelief as we continue to walk. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you for... Uh, these ancient words that speak to us. We thank you for this account. Uh, seems to be an eyewitness account of walking and being seen by Jesus. And, and we thank you uh, that we are still seen. Uh, we are still known. Uh, we are still radically changed and saved by Jesus. So Lord, we thank you for these words. Lord, I pray that we'd be encouraged to, to grow in our faith and grow in our walk. I pray that as we walk through this gospel that areas of unbelief will be 